So it's a weird world we live in. It's a strange universe. I call ourselves a conscious conglomerate of cells, assembled by atoms, manufactured by molecules, designed by DNA, forged by fusion via stellar supernovae. I mean, this is a crazy story. And every night you have to go to a tribal council to sacrifice and legitimately think about who you would kill, who you would you be willing to actively kill tribal council. It's like basically huh. sitting in heaven, looking at all the people you killed and then telling, asking them for forgiveness and then to still give you a million dollars or a million rent. It did spark a memory for me though. I've only actually shared this with two other people in my life. So this is opening up a bit. If you think that there's somebody else or something else controlling you, mm. it's, it is very eye-opening. I remember feeling so free. The, the, that day when I left the temple, I remember just thinking, this is the most free I've ever felt in my life. Just, mm. It's pure ecstasy of freedom. Any decision I make from here on out is my own decision. And I will bear the responsibility, whether it's praise or blame, I take it. It's, mm. it's ultimately my fault. There's no one to blame for this. There's no one to praise for this, except me. And I think it's quite a freeing and yet terrifying, <laughs> possibly, well, I can't call it a quarter-life crisis or whatever, but it's a very young life crisis. <laughs> Dr. Tevin Naidu is a medical doctor, philosopher, and ethicist. Born in South Africa of Indian descent, he attained his Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery degree from Stellenbosch University, and his Master of Philosophy degree cum laude from the University of Pretoria. His academic work focuses on theories of consciousness, computational psychiatry, phenomenological psychopathology, values-based practice, moral luck, addiction, and the philosophy and ethics of science, mind, and mental health. He has a television background as the host of two popular South African shows, as a castaway on Survivor South Africa. He is currently the host of the Mind Body Solution podcast. Tevin, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor to be here. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. I mean, you, you did it yourself, my friend. <laughs> you know, that's your background. They got it together quite well. I mean, they make me sound better than I think I um, I did. A, I've done a lot of research. I'm a big fan of your channel. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've loved it. I discovered it a little over a month ago, I think, and I've I mean, I, over half of your, of your episodes I've listened to and I can plan to just absorb the whole library soon. I'd love to start off kind of early because one of the, one of the really core pieces of content was actually someone else's interview of you, Dr. Tony Nader's uh, interview with you, which I loved. And one piece that really piqued my interest was when you're talking about how early you started questioning things um, asking the big questions, metaphysics, etc., And you said it was around the age of nine or so, I believe you said. Uh, and I'd love if you could just give us some context around that and what that was like. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a strange world we live in. I think it's, it's, I mean, I was just discussing this with my girlfriend and one of my friends today. Um, the universe is such an intriguing place. There's so much going on. Um, I mean, someone that always comes to mind is Charles Darwin. I think about the years he spent on the Galapagos Islands, just traveling, um, conflicting views with his own theory and his religious beliefs, and how he spent so many years trying to convince himself, not others, but himself, that what he believed religiously just did not correspond to the mm -hmm. data. And for me, when I was a kid growing up in South Africa, it's very, very multicultural. It's very diverse. We've got 11 official languages there so many different cultures and backgrounds and i mean people often say cape town when you're in cape town you feel like you're in the rest of the world there's there's just so many different people all coming together and me personally part of my family very much muslim uh traditional indians the other half hindu traditional indians and then you've I've also got christian 
traditional Indians, but still South African at heart. So I consider myself more South African than I do Indian because we've been here for around seven, eight generations. Oh, wow. First brought as indentured laborers by mm. Brits. Um, and, and then at some point, obviously, of post-apartheid sort of built their way up and made their way into society. But so the cultural dynamic is very intriguing at that point because I have my Muslim best friends and cousins on the one side. I've got my Christians best friends and cousins on the one side and my Tamil, Hindu, everybody is all just integrating so well. And, and none of the ideas corresponded and I found that very frustrating. I, th I felt that when I went to school, when I, when I read books, when I went to science, for example, class, um, was always some sort of a consistency with the story. And if something did change, which it often does, science consistently uh, replaces the older science with new, later sciences. These stories were sort of set in stone, and I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that whatever the person said was the gospel or the truth. I felt that, I mean, channels called the truth. I felt like if I had to look for radicality and truth, this is probably not where I'm going to look because I had this bad tendency of asking questions and I would often get kicked out of temple <laughs> or I'd get kicked out of the mosque. And oh, no. So when that happens, you start to question, I mean, is this really the story you want to be told? Are you being told the story or taught the story? What's the difference? And at that point, I stopped. I became completely atheist. Um, I was nine. I remember nine. where I was. Wow. Place I, was. Um, I left the temple. I remember being so frustrated. At that point, I actually became quite anti-theist. I became very much... Okay anti-religion. I remember being so irritated by this whole story, the fact that people are so convinced by these ideas. And as the time went by, I, I became a lot more conservative with that view. I'm no longer anti-religion, anti-theist. Anti I, I think everyone's entitled to their own views. I respect them all. I think that uh, at the time it was more my own ha hatred towards the person who spoke to down to me at the time that caused mm. this, this almost... Uh, neo-atheistic view, you know, the, the sort of um, the Richard Dawkins, uh, yeah. Yeah. Christopher Hitchens type of Sam Harris, Daniel yeah. Dennett type of hatred. And that slowly changed. I mean, I have, a, I have huge respect Christian scholars, theologians, and uh, even gurus, uh, priests alike. I mean, it's, it is, to me, it is, it's changed over time. It's an interesting mm -hmm. dynamic. Yeah, it started when I was nine, which is very young because many of my friends thought I was crazy. Of course, yeah, that's so young to be questioning. You must have been a curious, curious kid. Do you remember? Was it a gradual thing? Did was there a moment in time where something snapped? Like, I think it was always brewing. I think my dad um, always told me to watch Discovery Channel, hmm. National Geographic. I mean, he, yeah. he forced me to sort of watch this when I'm watching Cartoon Network. <laughs> Change the channel. That's and, good. Um, <laughs> In hindsight, I mean, at the time, I obviously didn't like it, but when I look back, I think, I mean, those are the stepping stones, sort of those curiosity builders that, mm. that started asking the deeper questions within because I often, I mean, growing up, I wanted to be an astrophysicist, and mm. I've always wanted to be an astrophysicist. I remember just getting 100% for mathematics every year, all the time, just thinking wow. it's going to happen. And then, and then as you get older, you make the more conservative choice. And at the time, for me, it was to look after my family, my, my peers, and and uh, yeah, I mean, in Indian cultures, I mean, becoming a doctor is always sort of pretty much uh, an expectation. And I think I sort of fell into the trap, <laughs> but no regrets. I enjoy it. I love it very much. But uh, yeah. I went for the conservative choice, but 
astrophysics in space, just trying to understand the nature of this universe, I mean, this incredibly complex, complex system. How does it all function? What is the purpose of all of this? What is the meaning behind all of this? I think it intrigues a lot of people, and I think religion does provide people with those. It provides us with those answers, but um, for me, it wasn't enough. I wanted to find out for myself, mm. and that's what sort of stirred me towards that. My parents were never that religious anyway. They were very cultural. Yeah. Sure. We often celebrated Diwali or all these the Hindu festivals. We went to prayers. I still go to many of them, um, but yeah, they, they never really ingrained the religious doctrine within me. So they, they often allowed me to do whatever I wanted. When I, when I was nine, I told them I'm done. They were fine. It's like, wow. That was just like, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. That well, <laughs> it did spark a memory for me though. If I, if I may, I know I'm interviewing you, but if I may share um, something, I've only actually shared this with two other people in my life. So this is opening up a bit. It's not, it's not like crazy big, but I remember because you said around nine and I was around eight or nine years old. I remember I was definitely in the third grade. So whenever that's around then. And I remember the moment when I was in my childhood bedroom, a lit bedroom, and I was looking through the doorway into the hallway that was dark. And all of a sudden it was like something changed. Like it's like the top down control became apparent if that makes any sense like i was like i didn't know the word agency at the time but it was like oh i have control over this like it wasn't solely the ether of my childhood let's say and it but it was like a moment and like from then on i remember going to school the next day and being like oh my goodness like everything just clicked at like a critical time and I, it sort of gives you that power that sort of autonomy you've been looking for Yes. Waiting yeah. for that autonomy. I mean, everybody just craves it. Everybody wants it, but nobody really gets it. If you think that there's somebody else or something else controlling you, mm. it's, it is very eye-opening. I remember feeling so free. The, the, that day when I left the temple, I remember just thinking, this is the most free I've ever felt in my life. Just, mm. just pure ecstasy of freedom. Mm. Um, any decision I make from here on out is my own decision. And I will bear the responsibility, whether it's praise or blame, I take it. It's, mm. it's ultimately my fault. There's no one to blame for this. There's no one to praise for this, except me. And I think it's quite a freeing and yet terrifying, <laughs> possibly, well, I can't call it a quarter life crisis or whatever, but it's a very young life crisis. <laughs> a one-tenth life, a one-twentieth life crisis. Hope you live to, to a long time. Huh, that's so interesting. So then from, from there, the progression you said astrophysics was a big passion of yours. You go through high school. You obviously, I mean, I'm assuming you were a great student, you know, never yeah. caused any trouble in the classroom. It was on top. And then I had archaeology as one of the others. Oh, interesting. Teaching is one of the others. I mean, those what was the other one? And teaching, just general teaching. Mm. Most likely mathematics or physics. Oh, wow. Very cool. Those three were my, I mean, archaeology, I mean, I loved it so much. Yeah. I speak very highly i mean darwin's one of my favorite scientists of all time and mm. just uh going back i mean yeah stephen jay gould when i think about the work they did back in the day i mean it's some of the best things i've seen absolutely it's incredible cool so, those so are... i think I, point i was yeah, very much in the sciences very very science oriented mm -hmm. and and then as you get older you start becoming more philosophical your scientific you start to mm. question those as well so at nine-year-old eventually had to change really to 19 
now 29. I'm currently 29, but mm-hmm. over time things have changed every every sort of decade or so. <laughs> sure. And wh- what made like when did you decide you wanted to become a doctor? So what I was. It was always it was always one of the choices. It was something I've always loved. But the main reason a lot of people find this completely absurd and ridiculous sure. is. Um, I was watching House and I love House. <laughs> yeah, great show. I remember watch, I watched it as a kid too. Yeah, sure. Um, probably probably my favorite series of all time because mm-hmm. I've watched it so many times. There's eight seasons. I watch all of them back to front. Wow. Possibly like around eight times. And um, I know it's what? a lot of. <laughs> Holy shit. During this before med school days. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of time. More, a lot more time back then. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I sort of uh, made the excuse in school that this is me studying. Whenever somebody asks me what I'm doing, I'm as if always, research. whenever someone asks, it's always lupus. That's always the first. Yeah, lupus, <laughs> like that's lupus or sarcoidosis, the other one. Oh, sarcoidosis! I forgot that. Yeah, okay. And so cool, the, cool. those are the, So I was watching house. I remember my mom running down the stairs when I was at, was at home, and um, I was like, "You got in for med school." And at the time, I'm watching house. Mm-hmm. I look at the TV and I look at her and I just think. I just say, let's go, let's just do it. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those, the spur of the moment thoughts where I just didn't even think about astrophysics. I didn't think about anything else. I just, let's just do it. And when I got to med school, I realized it's nothing like house. Very different. <laughs> Very different. Yes. And what, what, how would you extra, how would you describe your experience in med school? So, uh, super difficult. Um, school was, was easy. I mean, very well. I got to med school and, th- and I think this is where cultural dynamics in South Africa play a big role because I went from a school where school had majority 800 black students. Um, in South Africa, we refer to mixed race people as colored and this is not politically incorrect within this country. So mm-hmm. uh, we refer to mixed race people as colored. So there were, t- there were about 800 blacks, 200 coloreds, about 200 Indian people, no white people at all. And then I went from that school to Stellenbosch University, which is majority Afrikaans white University, mm. and, and my, it was a complete cultural shock for me. Something I, I never anticipated. Right. I mean, I did Afrikaans as a language in high school and primary school, but always sort of learned it with a pinch of salt, like thinking I'd never use this. It's not going to be something I'm going to be using. Yeah. And I get to Stellenbosch, where Cape Town, 75% of the population speak Afrikaans, and I was completely shocked. I couldn't believe it. Mm. And this is the first language, so it was very surprising. Immediately felt homesick, just completely into sort of a depression i would say very dark i would go to lectures to fall asleep and go home and self-study because mm-hmm. i just couldn't they were speaking afrikaans i couldn't understand what was saying what they were saying i couldn't understand the lecture so i just it was very very dismal. but over time you get used to it it's not that bad you start mm-hmm. to fall in love with it slowly trauma starts to become like a it's almost like a toxic relationship <laughs> you, you hate it but you love it you keep going back so i kept going back things got better slowly fell in love cool it was difficult i'm sure and then you i mean you can imagine yourself being in a ward round and um guys just talking to you in a different language sort of talking down to you as well because he mm. sort of assumes i don't understand the language mm. and um and then you don't realize he's asking you the question he's asking <laughs> and this is you in a ward round academic ward round for marks you're getting graded on this Right. And then you get poor mark because you just don't really. It was very, very frustrating. Um, sort of built up a little bit of anger within me. I remember not wanting to learn Afrikaans, just to spite them. Um, and, but I learned it eventually anyway. Yeah, you had to. <laughs> you had to. <laughs> I had to pass. I had to figure this whole thing out. 
But um, that was a South Africa is so politically complex. Mm. Can you imagine? I mean, eleven official languages. Afrikaans is one of them. English is one of them. That means there's nine other official languages left. Mm. I used to speak Zulu quite a lot back when I was a kid. Um, and then in, in Cape Town we have what's known as Isikosa. Um, so there's, there's so many different languages. Yeah. Difficult to learn them all. Sure. Yeah. You have to just cover what you can and <laughs> move forward from there. So fake it, fake it with some of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Gesture and get, yeah. get by that way. You um, get sort of the vernacular, you get the gist of it mm-hmm. and you can get through a conversation. Sure. Sure. So you're in med school. And how did you get into this television media space? Like, what was, what was that path? People, uh, this is my first time, actually, just by the way, Carlos, just doing an interview where I'm integrating all these lives together. Because I've, I've, I've either done specifically television stuff, and then I've either done academic, medical, mind-body solution content. Mm. It's kind of intriguing to have this discussion. It's my first time. So yeah. for me, it was... I was in high school, I remember. I think I was about six foot one at the time, height. Mm. And uh, I had this, I'd met this uh, model agent who told me I should try and just do some modeling, just to earn some extra cash. And obviously, I didn't grow up in a very rich area. I was, wasn't very wealthy, and I thought, this is a great way to make money. Um, and it was. It was a <laughs> Awesome. Great. Did it. And then, and then at some point, um, I... I entered this, uh, entered Mr. India, South Africa. I was, I think, about 17 at the time. The, the agent said, enter the competition, do this, you might win it. Mm-hmm. If you do, you can go on to bigger things. And I did, and then I ended up winning it, and I went on to then host a television show in South Africa. And it's one of South Africa's most popular Asian lifestyle television shows. So millions of viewers every week. And I was fortunate enough, it's called Easter Mosaic. Mm-hmm. They contacted me because they saw me win this other competition, which is pretty cool, and asked me to join the team, and I did. And at that point, I think I was 17 when I won the competition, 18, sorry, when I won, and when I won it. And then afterwards, I went on to TV show, and I was in my first or second year of med school. So around then, I've been living, I've started living this double life. It was like mm. entering two different realms. And mm. I mean, you mentioned in, in your emails, um, Joseph Campbell, the I mean, a hero's journey type of thing, you know, that call to adventure. This is this was it, you know, because I already started this medical journey. Mm-hmm. And then I got approached by this other world that was completely different. Yeah. For a guy who's homesick, really irritated with the way things are going and not really happy with where he is, this was like a blessing. This was, this was completely, this was fun got to travel. I got to teach because I wanted to be a teacher this whole time. So mm-hmm. presenting to me became this platform where I could teach people speak to an audience and i think i really enjoyed that and i, and I loved lecturing i loved giving talks so it was a, it was pretty cool because i got to then fuse a lot of these hobbies together to sort of mm-hmm. something that made money and help pay med school fees and help do a lot of things for my own lifestyle in general and, sure. and then at that point the show was doing very well we ended up getting another show and it all just rippled from there i mean i kept doing tv shows but then i was sort of living this double life uh, and it, it started becoming a little difficult. I mean, I'd go yeah, from a 36-hour sure. shift at the hospital and then have to film an entire event the next day for the television show. And so I'd be exhausted. I remember, I, like, was in my eyes completely dark and, like, sunk, and yeah. I'd look tired all the time. So it was like a chronic fatigue. But I loved it. It was too exciting to stop. It was almost like being on drugs. Mm. Like, I, by sure. this 
energy that you just keep wanting more. Get addicted yeah. to the dope, like, mm-hmm. and um, and and back then I had a lot of social media. I was using, I was actively engaging with the community. So yeah. that constant feedback started really feeding um, the ego, I would say. And um, I mean, I enjoyed it at the, at the time, but then at some point I decided there's got to be a, a limit. I have to either continue with one or continue with the other. And I chose mm. obviously the medical and the science background. How'd you make that choice? It was difficult. I mean, I've, I, I, I always would have. It was. It was never, and it was never me actually thinking of leaving that. For, but it was more that you get tired of the. I don't want to sound. You get tired of. It, it's it's almost like a fake world. It's kind of like a mm. curated world that you start getting a bit, a bit frustrated. With. You get tired of the fact that everybody has this facade. Um, they're not showing the true colors. They're not being themselves. Whereas in medicine, people are being complete, uh, for lack of better terms, I mean, assholes to you. <laughs> this was nailing you, just telling you how bad you are at this thing. No, no filter, absolutely no concern with whether he hurts sure. me or not. And, and I found that a little bit better for some reason. I felt like I'd rather know exactly where I stand with you mm. versus going into this big event with everyone just being fake the whole time. Pretending like they love you, pretending like they care, and constantly in this environment, you don't really know how to read people. You, for someone who loves psychology, philosophy, you want to want to know how people are thinking. You want to know yeah. why they think a certain way. I mean, in this act, it's sort of like it's constantly acting, and uh, and I didn't really like it. And then the politically correct started growing over time. Um, I had my own views on that, and I, yeah, it, it started becoming too much. I felt that. Being, being online, not being able to speak your mind, not being able to talk and openly and have a discourse, which is the main reason why I started Mind Body Solution, was having a platform to provide a lot of these people who have theories they're afraid to actually share sometimes because of the repercussions. Um, so I was always a fan of, of having that freedom of speech, trying to be able to say what you want to say and need to say without offending people with intent. I mean, context is always important. Content is not relevant without considering the context it's in. Um, if, you, if you just take content for what it is, um, that's, that just doesn't work. Someone can say something, it can mean a completely different thing in a different contextual situation. So sure. I found that very, very frustrating about the television slash online world where context is completely eliminated and um, yes. possibly eradicated from the scenario. Mm. And yeah, it became easier at that point. Had it not become that way, I think I might have stayed longer, but mm. the more I watched the way it started to go that route, uh, I decided to, to take a step back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I put my foot in my mouth too much. So I think for me, context is very important. <laughs> sure. And it's funny because this is part of the reason why these long form discussions, I think, are so popular and has become, have become popular in the last you know, 10 years or so, is that we, we get the time to have the whole, the context is, you know, it's built in there. and. On TV, it's like, give me your soundbite. Give me 30 seconds. Make it quick, because we got a mistake. What's that? I it's it. like a 10 second clip of making a mistake. And you just wait. <sighs> a lot more to say there. You stopped right. it just time. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of that. I mean, these podcasts yeah. play amazing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I agree. I think it is. I'm, uh, and I'm personally, I'm just getting into it. You know, this is sort of a beginning of a. The new chapter for, for for my channel. I want to do some more long form stuff like this, and um, 
because I think and it's fascinating. Doing a great job. Oh, thank you. Oh, geez, stop. <laughs> Flattery will get you very far. So <laughs> um, I appreciate that. I mean, you are, but I mean, I can tell one of the things that comes through on your channel, which I, we'll get to in a, in a little bit, because I think that'll be the main, main focus of the discussion, uh, is how polished you are. I mean, how clearly, how clearly you have your, what, five, six years of TV experience? I mean, yeah, but, yeah, but more, more longer than that, I think like, yeah, about, I started in 2012 or so, and I ended in around 2018, 19. And, okay. but I did, but then I did obviously, I mean, as you know, Survivor and the other shows. Oh yeah. Had, you know, very different reasons and different circumstances around that. Well, since you brought it up, let's talk some Survivor. <laughs> Survivor, one of my favorites, if not house, it's going to be Survivor. Yeah, if you had to choose, you're on a desert, deserted island. Which one do you go with? Oof, so difficult. I think I'll go with, if I'm on a deserted island, I think I'll go with Survivor at that point. <laughs> so I would say the same thing, but then you're also, you're in this vicious loop where you're on an island watching a show by an island. You might want to escape from that. Especially if I'm watching a season where I'm on, because then it's going to feel very much like Inception. Oh, absolutely. Were you on two <laughs> seasons or one season? Yeah, two. Um, so we, we recently just this year had our returnee first South African returnee season. So it was, there. Mm. It was pretty much an all season and um, mm -hmm. that was very, very cool. Uh, went home too soon again. <laughs> yeah, that is that. so cool. And what made you apply for Survivor or did they reach out to you? Did they see you? Like, how, how did that work? So no, no, no. So I, I love Survivor. I've been a fan mm -hmm. since I was probably around nine as well. I mean, mm. I think this first one came out in 2009. Oh yes, the original oh. one, Richard Richard Hatch yeah. that season. Yes, Richard Hatch. I think it was two thousand or two thousand and one, mm -hmm. uh, which meant I was around seven actually, seven or seven or eight, um, and I started watching from then. And it, it was it's a family show. My mom loves it. My sister yeah. loves it. We've been watching it as a family since then. And I often save. I used to save seasons from in a different city to watch it with the family when I get back. Oh, I download nice. and get back to the other city to watch it with them, mm. and. I've been a fan for such a long time. I love the psychosocial behavioral dynamics of it all. For me, it's very much a biopsychosocial game. Um, mm -hmm. Medicine focuses on a biopsychosocial model. It's extended itself to biopsychosocial spiritual, biopsychosocial cultural. Mm -hmm. But when you think of Survivor, it's not just um, a television show to me. To me, it's more for uh, pretty much what Jeff Probst says. It's a, it's a social experiment, except mm -hmm. I think it's a lot more complex than that. I think. I think there's a lot of dynamics behind the game that, that can dictate how people behave in real life and mm. how people perceive their, themselves within the game mm. dictates a lot about what they don't know they do in real life. Because people have this, this image of almost when you enter this game, it's not reality. You're almost taken away from reality because they build this box right. where you can behave a certain way based on the rules that they've set out. But this box just so happens to be in the real world that you've always been a part of. So you can never really escape reality. So a lot of people who have this perception that when you leave the real world and enter Survivor, you can be an asshole, you can be a dear, you can be these people. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, no, no, I don't think that's true. I think the way you behave, yes, if you want to play a character for mm -hmm. entertainment purposes, fair enough, I'm all about that. I did that my first season. Very mischievous, very much the, <laughs> the, the naughty guy trying to, put people against each other. Oh, the second time I played, I was a lot more mature. 
I was a bit, I was four years older, and uh, but then I didn't. I wanted to play more like the doctor that I am, mm. and, I, and it comes across on the show. You see myself in verses and very naughty, mischievous, mm. lying, making up stories, and now and I went through with this intention. I told them, look, listen, I come from a television background. I'm here because I love the show and I want to make the show better. Main goal here is not just about me. It's about let's make South African Survivor as, as cool as it can be. Yeah. So at this point, Survivor had just finished season five and season six got taken over by a new production company called Afrocons. And this production company is filled with massive fans, just huge, like big Survivor fans. Um, one of the producers, he's like one of the, he's got a tattoo of the Survivor staff on his arm. His name is LB. Um, one of the biggest fans out there. So I got onto the show at the right time because this group of people decided to make it just like the US version. Mm. And, and it became one of the best seasons internationally. I mean, at some point, people did an over international ranking and, and it comes out second, season six of South Africa. So it's Philippines. Yeah. I think one of the US seasons was first and uh, second was Survivor South Africa Philippines. And then thereafter is an Australian season. I can't remember which US season it was. But yeah, at the time, it was because of how good the production crew managed to edit the show and make it so realistic. Mm -hmm. um, it, it stayed true to everyone's characters. It gave enough content, yeah. enough context, which is also quite cool. Mm -hmm. um, not just those snippets to create characters. We sort of had the freedom to make our own characters. And, mm -hmm. and nobody comes there to act. Nobody's there. It's not scripted. It's not an act. It's not a play. Sure. We do everything's legit. So yeah. um, the big thing is, is though, if you want to play a character as a fan, we'll do it. So if I, if I loved Richard Hatch, for example, mm -hmm. I'm more likely to then play a little bit villainous and be a little oh, bit yeah. more than someone else. Mm -hmm. So it, it's quite a fascinating scenario. Absolutely. What was it? I mean, what was the most surprising thing about it? What? What didn't you expect or what was when you actually got there, mm. you know, day one, everyone must just be you're like on the moon or it's just a <laughs> panoply of emotions. But what was different about the experience? What surprised you, I guess? I mean, just for some context, that I mean, I don't think I answered your question when I mm. saw that Survivor South Africa season six, because this has been years now since season five. Mm. We haven't heard about it for a while. So then they announced that season six is happening. And the day before the auditions were finished, my best, one of my best friends at the time, she sent me a message to say, uh, Survivor's happening again. I know how much you love it. Don't you want to enter? But I just finished a 26-hour shift at the hospital. <laughs> and I sent a video of myself in scrubs. Mm. <laughs> so I think I quickly got home, made a quick recording on my cell phone, just saying, listen, I love this game. I'm going to be a villain. <laughs> just point blank. I'm going to be a villain. I'm nice. a television background. I'm going to entertain. And just lie, cheat, steal, do whatever it takes to make sure the audience and the tribe mates are eating out of the palm of my hands. I had this whole thing prepped, yeah, nice. it through, and it worked. They called me back, and they Clearly. said, okay. um, they, they knew that I was from television, obviously, but mm -hmm. they actually asked me, am I going to come as the television presenter, or am I going to come as Dr. Naidu? And I said, I'm coming as Dr. Naidu. So let's forget about the fact that I've ever done anything on television. I'm coming as someone who has a background in in psychology, neuroscience, um, medicine, and I'm going to play mind games. This was my character. So I was already curated this character. And so you get to Philippines, fast forward a couple months later, and you have to isolate in a room for about 10 days. And it's, it's, it's so crazy. So you start losing a bit of yourself during that period. Why do you um, isolate? What, what do you mean, like before the game starts? or? Yeah, yeah. So, and this is pre-COVID as well. 
So it's it's a good way to get everyone onto the into the same country without seeing each other. So you you get one gotcha. contestant at a time, because you might because especially in a place like South Africa, let's say you're in Durban or Cape Town, you might know the person who comes across at the airport. Right. So you rather avoid that scenario. Let's let sure. them go through one on one. Wow. Let them and not allow them to actually leave the hotel room. So yeah. you have to stay inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horrible. That's probably one of the worst experiences. Oh, I've no. Had. Have you ever watched Minefield with um, his name? Um, he's a YouTuber. He's got this show called Vsauce, Michael. Hmm. Yes, it's been a while, yeah. but yeah, 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 of course. But he's got this um, YouTube show called Minefield where he sits in a room for about, in a black room with nothing to do for about 10 days. Or so. I can't remember exactly. <sighs> So, but that's what it felt like. You're, stuck, you're mm. stuck in this room. No clocks, no watches, no cell phones, nothing. So no, my room specifically had no window as well because it was covered by some sort of a dark alley um, that had a roof over it. So I couldn't tell whether it was night or day. Um, mm. I had no inkling of what time it was ever. The only yeah. thing that kept me sort of on track was each time a meal came to me. And, and it messed me up. I remember getting off because I had... I had notes for all the cool things I was going to do on the island and day one I got I completely forgot about it all <laughs> I went there just I hadn't slept for like three days before that before coming onto the game and um, I think it was seven days I spent seven days on in the hotel not ten but seven days of just not knowing what time it is not knowing what's going on it's quite rough weird yeah weird setup for yeah, it, it gets to you and I think the, and the second time because of COVID it was another it was just the same you had to stay in the hotel at least mm-hmm. it was light. There was sunlight in this hotel room. So much mm-hmm. better experience. But still, it, it, it gets to you because you then play the game within your head too much. And uh, sure. you can be your own worst enemy, especially in a game like Survivor, where you're completely paranoid all the time. Yeah. You can't trust anyone. You really don't know what's, what to expect. You mm-hmm. get out there and you realize that they're all doing the same thing you're trying to do, which is lie, cheat, people. <laughs> and, and you realize you're not that good at it. You think you are. Really you think you bad. are, yeah, right. But you're not that good at it. Because you're, be... you're a good guy. Like You're not doing that in the real You're not getting practice in your no, real no. life, you know? I'm going there trying to put on a show. You know? it's yeah. not That's why the second time I tried to be a bit more like mm, myself. Sure. Which then became a bad thing anyway, because then I got seen as this guy who's in charge of the truck. Mm. Look up to me. People are constantly asking for advice. They want to know what to do. And then you get labeled with a different label, which is mm-hmm. he's winning material he's someone who's going to possibly win right uh, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a crazy it's a it's a wonderful i agree it's a wonderful game i i think i mentioned to you in our correspondence before that it's funny because i might not be here we might not be having this conversation unless i applied for survivor like five years ago yeah and i got i got to the final stages i did the whole thing you know you're in the hotel room you can't talk to the other contestants there, but you know, there everyone else is around. You know, you know who the people are, and I mean, it's a wild. It's for a week. You know, you're, you're. It's yeah. It's kind of messing with your head. And I did a bunch of crazy stuff. I would show up to breakfast in a robe and a crazy outfit and stuff like that, and just like try to create attention for myself. You know, try to create like um, some intrigue around me, and. Uh, I get to the interviews with like the casting person and Jeff Probst, you know, that, which is like, whoa, holy shit, it's Jeff. Uh, and they'd be like, hey, everyone's talking about you. You know, you're, you're causing a stir. Like, and I was like, yeah. I was like, that's what I will do on the show. <laughs> Put me on and I will do, I will do stuff. 
you know, to be interesting. But um, yeah, it didn't. And I had, oh my God, I was so into it. I like had, I have an 80 page Google doc of like survivor strategies, you know, all this stuff to do. I completely agree. I did the same thing. I had this yeah. huge, with a whole bunch of notes. Yeah. Ready to I, <laughs> I also put on like, cause I was thinking, I went into it and uh, at the end of the whole process, I thought to myself, that's the best I could possibly do. I was like, that, I, I have no, I left it all in the field, you know? I was like, that's all I got. And I thought I did, I did as good as I could. And so I was like, the turnaround between when they tell you you're going to go on and when you go is a month. I don't know, it's quick. So I, I, my thought process was like, okay, you're going to lose a lot of weight when you're on the island, but you don't want to, you don't want to like, eat a ton, you don't want to put on like 10 pounds right before you go, because your body is used to that. So when you're fasting, it's gonna be way worse. Exactly. So I thought, what I'll do is I'll put on like 20 pounds a few months before, get my body accustomed to that weight, and then fast as I approach the date. But I didn't get it. So I just put on a bunch of weight. <laughs> that's, that's almost exactly what happened to me. Because when I I first, I remember for the second time, I got so ripped. I, I exercised and trained nice. every day. Yeah. Then got COVID. Then I got the flu. Oh, then I got COVID oh, again. Oh, so God. I ended up eating and just laying in bed for the next two months before I got into Survivor. And all I remember seeing on TV was me just with this, this huge tummy, just all unfit. And, and, I, and I thought, like, I was, I was hoping I'd be a bit more fit for this tribe. But, but luckily, <laughs> I, was, I was still manageable. Whatever. I mean, you can always frame it. What's funny is if you are the ripped guy, then you have like, you know, a target sort of, you know, survivor, you know, challenge threat or whatever. So you can always kind of work it in a way. That's exactly what I did. I used it to my advantage. Mm -hmm. I was like, mm -hmm. there are a couple more ripped guys out here. Let's, mm -hmm. let's go. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting too, like the, I, I love it for like the game, the game theory behind it, you know, all this kind of stuff. But what it always, what it ends up coming down to, it's, you know, the emotional, you know, you're, you're at the, you're at the mercy of the jury at the end and their decisions are, in my opinion, from what I've seen, it's like 95% emotional, you know, do they like you or not? You know, um, is what it always it's, comes it's down so to. It's so difficult to remove your emotions from the game. In yeah. fact, that awesome. plays the biggest role. You're correct. You're hundred percent right. Mm -hmm. Because I remember when, when I got voted out, when I got home, thought to myself the person like one of the people who voted me out i thought i'd never vote for that person to me. Mm. even though i knew that person was playing the best game wow and, and, and when i thought about it what? i was that person i was that guy who always said i'd never do that i would never allow my emotional judgment to yeah to the rational thinking behind my, mm. my mind and, and, it, and it happened and that's how strong the game gets you you're broken mm. down to your core literally just dirty hungry tired burnt, mm -hmm. scarred, bruised, bleeding, starving. Like, you, there's no food. You're losing weight at a rapid pace. The first time I lost eight kilograms in 18 days. I mean, that's too much weight to do so fast. It's not healthy. Sure. It's, it's absurd. But I still remember thinking, when I often, uh, one of the things I said when I interviewed for, when I tried to audition for the, for the game was, mm -hmm. think of Survivor as real life and actually think about it philosophically. You are placed in the scenario where you're forced to lie, cheat, steal, whatever, make an environment, create a social structure, try and create society, and thereafter, think of it as a tribe, because we are a tribe, mm 
And every night you have to go to a tribal council to sacrifice a person. Mm. So think of it that way and legitimately think about who you would kill, who you would you be willing to actively kill a tribal council that Really give that some thought because that's primarily what's happening. Mm. Every night we're actively going to kill someone. So you have to so I even approached a lot of people the next the second time I played with this argument. I was like, yeah. if you are willing to kill me versus this person, really. That's what you're doing at this point. Um, really give it some thought, philosophically. Take the game for its core meaning. Because I know when, yeah. I think it was Mark Burnett uh, who took over from Charlie Parsons, mm-hmm. author writes, um, Charlie Parsons was a, a Brit, I think he's a Brit. And he started off with this show, I think it was in Sweden or Switzerland, where he got this bunch of guys together and he put them on this island and he sort of realized that this has potential to be something intriguing. Because right. fundamentally, that's the core of the game, is, yeah. is this is this whole psychosocial element where you have to get people to forgive you at the end, putting them on the other side. Oh, and that's so yes. difficult. Unless you're a really, really nice person, you're never going to get forgiveness. Mm. It's going to be Wow, you've, I haven't heard these kinds of framings before around, or maybe it's been a while, but around your sacrifice, a human sacrifice. And then at the end, you're asking for forgiveness from the tribe. Yeah. It's like basically huh. sitting in heaven, looking at all the people you killed, yeah. and then telling, asking them for forgiveness, and, and then to still right. give you a million dollars or a million rent. <laughs> sure. Oh, pretty, it's, it's amazing. Pretty... Oof, crazy stuff. <laughs> I mean, I, would, what's... I was crazy talking about this. I just seem like the psycho philosopher. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's cool. It was way too hard, and it was too much for someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. Huh. Of, of overthinking it. <laughs> yeah, it can happen. Yeah, pretty easily. I feel like we could talk about Survivor for a long time, but <laughs> let's. Uh, I mean, there's a lot that we could talk about there, but and I'm sure that you have lots of like little stories and stuff like that. But um, I'd well, love we'll to get chat about another time. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'd be very interested for sure. Um, so Survivor happens. You're coming out of that. You decide, and I think you may mention even on an interview that. You had to like turn down a position to do Survivor, even. You had to like yeah. I mean, was that a small my, my second time on, um, mm. I got accepted to do a specialist program mm-hmm. for, for microbiology at the time because um, it was this was in COVID. It was at its rife. It was super ripe. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody was talking about microorganisms. I was like, mm, this is fascinating. Let me read more about it. I was doing lectures. Yeah. I was in the military at the time, working for the military, and I remember just going out, giving public lectures on virology, microbiology, just discussing wow. how microorganisms work, how COVID's nothing more than just a virus, just like every other virus. In fact, I just read a Lancet paper just today hmm. uh, that shows that September 2022, which is now, well, we're in October, but last month, uh, um, the most common var- respiratory viruses in South Africa have been rhinovirus, adenovirus, and influenza virus was third. The COVID's not even in the top 10 at the moment. So I was trying to give this lecture to put some context into the situation because a lot of people get very, very hyped when they hear something new. Novelty really creates chaos, and Mm. that's exactly what happened with COVID. Mm. You really lost the idea that there are other viruses out there, or high blood pressure and diabetes Mm. still exist. You know, we're still, you can't sit at home and hide from the world and then eat a bunch of cakes for the rest of your life. Mm. There are other killers out there. So sure. the, my 
lectures were focused on that, and then I wanted to do microbiology, but then got this uh, second opportunity, and it's like, ah, I'll take survive. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. So you uh, when, you, when you're that big a fan, it's, it's an easy choice. A lot of doctors mm. literally despise me, so not okay. Yeah. yeah. Who cares about that? Yeah, right, right. Survivors only got... I mean, but if they came back to you now, would you do it again? Yeah. Hundred days. Are you just always in? Third time's the charm. I think third, yeah, time, right? third time's the one. I have to just That's play my card. Exactly. A few more years. Maybe get a bit, a bit wiser. I need some wisdom. Wisdom helps. It's always useful. And then at that point, I came back and, well, it was after my first time on Survivor where I started to think about maybe starting a podcast. And hmm. I think that's where the journey started to take. Okay. What, how'd that start? Yeah. I mean, I was in Otsuan, which is a small town outside of Cape Town. So it's about five hours away from Cape Town in South Africa. And I was doing my master's degree at the time. And I started doing it in philosophy and ethics of mental health. And this, this took me into a hugely different domain. Um, mm -hmm. As a doctor who's focused primarily on physical sciences, biology, chemistry, when you do a philosophical degree and you write dissertations and you try and actively argue certain points, you start to really realize how flawed a lot of your thinking was mm. while studying the topic you were studying. And sure. that's exactly what happened to me because I wanted to be a neuroscientist. I wanted to be perhaps a neurologist or a psychiatrist. And mm. when I started this degree, I started to listen to the arguments or the counter arguments of physicalist theories or how we just make the assumption that the brain is merely a, a correlation of this, I mean, the mind, sorry, is merely a correlation of this part of the brain. And I started to really dissect this philosophically within the degree. Still very much physicalist at heart, even currently. Mm -hmm. but, mm. but I remember really thinking about it, thinking, this, they're, they're, they're right. I mean, we can't just make these assumptions and, and assume it's correct. We can't, we barely know anything about physics. I mean, we'll discuss metaphysical things that, I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to discuss it at this point, but when you think about the metaphysical reality and the fact that 99 point whatever percent of the universe is dark matter and we can't really even tell you what that is, mm. you have to really question your physicalist view. Mm -hmm. You can't make the assumption that the physical reality is veridicality or veridical truth. I mean, you're asking yourself, what is the truth of your podcast and mm -hmm. your YouTube channel? I mean, what is the truth? When you, when you look, I mean, when I look at you right now, I'm seeing photons of light hitting my retina um, getting transduced, I mean, converting, processing information, and then I'm getting that back. That's not even happening right now. So when we think of temporality, we think right. this is happening right now. Right. That's not. There's time that takes for the light to fly. It takes time to go to your cortex, come back, get processed. Mm -hmm. Memories come back in flood. And the last time I chatted to you, um, and then I bring up this sort of this, this vision of you. And that mm -hmm. takes a long time. Joshua Bach talks about that temporality and his, um, the ontology of reality is very blurry. Um, yeah. I, I, find, I call myself epistemologically, um, I call myself ontologically agnostic, but mm -hmm. epistemologically, I can tell you that certain things I know to not be true. <laughs> like um, what? So if, if I had to say, uh, one of the things would be, when it comes to my views on religion or God, I'm ontologically agnostic regarding the sure. origins of the universe, what's out there, and what could be. I don't know, fundamentally. But I can tell you what I don't think is there. I don't think that there's a man in the sky. Mm -hmm. I don't think that uh, somebody can tell you what to do, 
tweak it here or there. I, I actually don't even think that deistic views are possibly true. Um, you're always going to fall into that infinite regress of who made who made the deist, who made right. and then who that, and just keep going and going. I think it's so much more complicated than that. I think that what, whatever the truth actually is, is not something we're ever going to be able to understand. I don't think we have, I mean, I, and I find it very, very arrogant mm. that a lot of us think that we will gain access to this knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the truth is not something to ever see. You think the truth Which is something is the, we'll, ne we'll never see, we'll never experience, you think? Yeah, we'll never, we'll never really, I mean, we yeah. barely experience reality. Um, if you think of the optical window on Earth, it's called the optical window because it's all we can actually see. It's all that right. electromagnetic radiation that the light passes through, and it's all from ultraviolet to infrared. Mm -hmm. we, we, we don't get anything more than that, anything less than that. And then some species can see the ultraviolet rays, for example, birds, and some can see infrared, like snakes. Mm -hmm. And we see everything in between. Right. Um, we'll never see gamma rays. We, we never ever see radio waves. I mean, they're always here, yeah. but we don't see it. So we, mm -hmm. we, we see almost nothing. Uh, yeah. But we do experience something. So yeah. why is that? And why, what is the case? And yeah. that's primarily the reason for my podcast is my views changed so much over the last, I would say, five or five to 10 years regarding my own beliefs. Mm -hmm. I was very much a physicalist, hardcore materialist, not materialist in the sense that I like to buy fancy things in gotcha. case anyone's watching this. Mm -hmm. um, the philosophical sphere, I mean, I'm not materialist in the sense that I don't think everything's material. Yeah. I'm a, I mean, I thought everything was material, sorry, and, mm -hmm. and that the physical world was the objective reality and the subjective truth. But that changed completely slowly became very much emergentist. I thought, okay, consciousness probably emerges over time. Yeah. And um, with Mind Body Solution, the podcast that I have, the goal was to see if that's true at the time. And during that period, while doing my mental, uh, my masters in philosophy and ethics of mental health, I slowly became an illusionist. I started to really question whether, whether we really see reality for what it is. And illusionism became very convincing. And that's Daniel Dennett, Keith Frankish, um, Michael Graziano, Joshua Bach, they're very much illusionists at heart. Sure. And I found myself very convinced on the argument to be very convincing. Galen Strawson calls it one of the stupid, one of the most idiotic or stupid theories he's ever heard in his life, you know, <laughs> paraphrasing, but, <laughs> but Galen, I mean, I'm scheduled to chat to Galen at some point. I mean, he's very, very prominent in the philosophy of mind sphere. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, he, he's a mysterionist. I mean, and I think at this point, I'm closer to that. I just don't mm -hmm. know. Right. And I don't claim to know. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's too complex. It's, it's yeah. too complicated. Sure. But and you I, still want to get close. That's the goal of this podcast is yeah. let's explore this. And I often close the podcast. I'm not sure if you noticed, but I often say thanks for taking us one step closer right. to the mind body solution. I never yes. say thanks for providing me with a mind body solution. <laughs> yes. Because I don't think we're going to get there. I think that this podcast is merely a stepping stone to what could have been. <laughs> mm, that's interesting. But you still, I mean, we still enjoy the investigation. We enjoy oh, I love it. it so much. I mean, yeah, the, the not knowing isn't disheartening to me. Mm. It makes it even more intriguing. I mean, what, I would love for someone to give me a theory that I cannot refute or that 
other philosophers or scientists cannot refute. Just right. completely construct information. I mean, just concrete info that I cannot dispute. And I think that's impossible. I don't think, not me personally, but I think it's possible for someone to give that information where someone else is not going to counter it with something else. Sure, yeah. And I and agree. So I mean, good theories out there. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, there's so many interesting theories, interesting people to talk to. And even sometimes I feel like even if a theory is wrong, the process of going through and thinking through it can lead you to some insights that you'll apply somewhere else. You know, it's not like all or nothing. Um, and just <laughs> thinking back, my channel is called The Truth. I think. Well, closer to truth is already taken. I don't know if you've uh, ever seen that. Yeah. So I was like, oh, ah, shit, I can't, I can't. Lawrence Kuhn took that from you. Eh? Yeah, he's great and he's lovely. I mean, his, his interviews are awesome. He's actually one of the people well. that I wanted to mm. like, curate my content in and sort of align it with his size, mm. his sort of show. Yeah. That was why I actually got into television was mm. I, try, I wanted to actually host something like that. Oh, that was cool. the main reason why I went down, down that route. Okay. Oh, now I'm, I'm pulling, we're pulling stuff out here. We're like figuring out, okay. That's so when a, I started out, I remember thinking, okay, if I start here, mm-hmm. I could end up doing a closer to the truth type of thing. So and, cool. Uh, one day I might be able to do this. And it never happened, unfortunately. I tried to approach the South African Broadcasting Commission mm-hmm. with many ideas about this, but they felt that the niche audience weren't enough of us. Yeah, it's a real, the audience size, I don't know. I feel like there is a hunger for it as well. I mean, clearly, you know, but it is tough. You know, it's like how accessible can you make it to people? Like some folks have an interest in it and they don't maybe perhaps they don't have the educational background to sort of like get there. You know, um, that is one of the things I try to do with some of my explainer videos is provide a lot of visualizations to the point where like if someone is interested but can't quite get there, the visuals can kind of get them closer, you know? It can kind of be like, uh, okay, it's kind of building and maybe, you know, they return to the video a year later or the topic a year later and their mind has had time to think it, you know, think it through in the back of their head and they return it and go, oh, I kind of get that a little bit closer, right? So there's like a lot of different ways that we can help teach people and get them. You know, I was watching your videos and I think that, that you do a great job at doing that because Mm. I mean, you're, you say you're starting out, but I mean, the way you're able to edit your videos and get them all into such a succinct and, Mm. and detailed manner, it's quite, it's pretty epic. I I find it quite uh, enjoyable to watch. Thanks man. I will never tire hearing that. Thank you so much. (laughs) That's really nice. I I had quite a nice binge. Oh, nice. That's what I want. That session time, baby. (laughs) Get it up there. I will say too, though, I I have been considering a rebrand and maybe like true enough Mm. instead of the truth, you know, but then I feel like the association might be that it's not good, (laughs) that people are like, it's close, not really good. Really? Yeah. But I do think, well, that's something that we can talk about. Maybe jump into Hoffman a little bit, which is your most uh, uh, popular video so far. And um, I've covered him. Well, just as Finnis Be Truth Theorem on, on my channel, um, this idea of like satisficing, this idea of like good enough, true enough, right? I think mm-hmm. I, I can't remember which philosopher it was, like Schopenhauer maybe, um, who said like tr- the truth is just what's true enough. You know, you have to just mm-hmm. accept 
the limits and move on with your life. And, you know, you can't, because otherwise, I mean, you can really easily, and I know I've been there in my, in my life at times where you get into this like existential nihilism about it, where the weight of it, the fact that you can't get there weighs you down so much. And I've even I've, I've had friends over the years who have been in that situation as well. And um, it's a tough spot to be in. Like, yeah, it sounds like, yeah. I've been as well. Mm -hmm. I think that when you question too much, it can take you down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Right down there to a point where you just think there's no way out. <laughs> what is the purpose of this? Why am I here? It's yeah. like you're this. You're not even a speck of dust on a stage. And this play is just not about you. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's that's what it can take you towards. When you really start digging deep, what is this universe? Where are you? Um, it, that existential nihilism is very very easy to fall into. Yeah. And I've been there. Um, but then you find things. I mean. That can bring you back up. I don't know how you managed to do it. Uh, do you want to share that with me? <laughs> I would, yeah. If you'd like to hear, I mean, I want to hear. Well, you you kind of touched on it, I think, quite a bit at the beginning. Um, I had that kind of period during college, um, between my junior and senior years, for about a year, where, in hindsight, I didn't realize it was like my first oppressive period, where man, every day I woke up and all I could think about was does God exist? Like, what is going on here? Metaphysical questions, right? Like, what do I do? Like, you know, and I was a very um, uh, religious uh, person growing up. And it was, uh, you know, partly due to my, 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 my folks, you know, my family, uh, Catholic, go to mass every Sunday. So I was like kind of instituted, but I took the ball in high school and went running on my own too. I'd like really, it was something I was very significant to my life and my identity. And I believed in it wholeheartedly. I mean, you know, all the way through and I led retreats and I was this very, um, it was, yeah, it was very re religious. And then I got to college and I went to Brown university, which is, you know, a very liberal place, super different than what I was used to going Catholic school my whole life growing up. And that just, you know, that religious tendency, that conservative tendency, crashed into that world and it was very difficult especially at the beginning but then slowly i started to open my mind to other ways of thinking and then yes at some point i thought how can i ration my way to the tr yeah to the core right to the truth and i wrestled with it for like a year i mean every day it was like really weighing me down and at the end of that period or so it was like between my um fall and spring semesters at, at college, I just threw my hands up and I was like, I don't know. I, I can't, this, I have to be agnostic. I can't choose. Because what I was also finding was I was, I was like getting to my, I was, I was kind of like logically trying to get to where I already was, you know? I was like, oh, let me, because it's comfortable. I mean, there's a lot of, and there's a lot of good reasons to, I'm not anti-religious, by the way. I'm, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm very, you know, whatever works for people, you know? Um, very open to it, but I just had to let that go. And you hinted at it before too. It's scary to be it like, is. you thought you had, you, you, you had this, this feeling like you had this support that everything was going to work out that, you know, a guiding principle. And then you're, you're in the void, you know, you're by yourself. You're, you have only yourself to rely on mm. and your relationships, with other people, of course, in the world. But yeah, that was, 
that was the period of yeah the darkness and then i just i a certain amount of acceptance that just wasn't going to get there by mm. rationality alone um yeah, it's then, one of yeah, those yeah. it's one of those strange feelings you feel like i said i felt super free at the time mm. and i mean that mm. didn't last very long it was mm. uh, it, it quickly down it quickly deteriorated into this downward spiral of trying to search i mean what is the point of this yeah what doing this yeah i mean yeah. you start asking yourself some dark questions but then you slowly fall in love with certain ones again and you start mm. to and you start enjoying the chase i mean yeah I mean, that's pretty much what you're doing now with the truth um you're trying to find it um mm. and you might not think you will you might think you get close enough true enough mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but same goes for me i mean i i'm i'm all about the journey at this point um mm -hmm. it's not about finding the mind body solution i mean the mind body problem is to me my favorite problem uh, mm -hmm. philosophically it is my it's what I live for at this point, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's become pretty much my, my identity at this point. But yeah. the mind-body solution is something I don't think we will find, not at least in my lifetime. But I think that trying to find the solution or getting people to discuss it and have this discourse and communicate, I mean, the fact that we're discussing it right now, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's so cool to know that there's so many people out there who want to talk about it. Yes. And when I started the podcast, I was so surprised because I initially intended on not doing any sort of active marketing or um, mm. trying to promote the podcast or doing anything. And I haven't. It's just grown very, very naturally. A lot nice. of people have been coming to messaging me, emailing me, or making contact very naturally. And it's pretty cool because it's, it's, it seems like people are longing for this information. Mm. They want to see this or listen to this discourse. Yeah. And I think that time has come and, and podcasting has given us this opportunity where finally the deeper questions can be spoken about without sounding like you're having a psychotic episode. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to touch on one thing that interests me and it, it brings me to your interview with Chomsky um, is what, because you asked him about, I think the mind body problem or something or consciousness in general. And he said something to the degree that it didn't really interest him that much. Mm. He wasn't that interested in consciousness. And yeah, I so, actually, oh, sorry, go ahead, redhead. Can I continue? I'll, I'll, I'll try and touch on that. I was going to say, when he said that, I don't want to say I agree with him, but it interests me. It's like an interest of mine, of course. I mean, it's like a core question, right? Like what we have access to is this experience. That's what we have. That's, you know, the, the big problem. But I do, th I do think it's interesting that like, to me, the question is like, what is reality? You know, what is every, you know, everything and include, including consciousness, right? And so I want to hear, I want to hear why, why it's the most interesting problem to you. Like, like, yeah, if you could. I, I think, so I agree with you. I think that fundamentally, I actually care more about what reality is than consciousness. Mm -hmm. So um, at the essence, I'm on the same page. But for me, the issue comes with the fact that you can have a theory of consciousness that does incorporate reality within it. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Donald Hoffman, for example, sure. a lot of panpsychist theories and, and certain idealist theories, reality can become part of consciousness. So it's, because it's the only thing except for reality that you can sort of bring into the topic, and the fact that I studied medicine and did a master's in mental health and did psychiatry, obviously I came towards it with a bias towards mm -hmm. the mind. But Overall, I still care more about what reality is. And I agree with Noam Chomsky because what he said was that um, the more important question is what is reality? 
And mm -hmm. I agree because the issue is that we don't know what reality is. So physicalist views yeah. don't really yeah. hold much weight, particularly today when people are showing that we don't know what physics really is. I mean, quantum physics says one thing, um, general relativity says another thing. Mm -hmm. we're, we were struggling to coincide these two theories. Uh, and then they have, there are physicists out there that are showing that space-time, I mean, Donald Hoffman says this all the time, and that space-time is doomed, and then you have to start wondering, why are they saying this? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, such, it's such a weird statement to hear a physicist say, space-time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that would freak someone out who doesn't take, I mean, if you take physics seriously, you take predictions and mathematical calculations seriously, you have to start pondering why would someone with such a vast intellect and knowledge base say something so absurd maybe because it's true maybe yeah. because it's the truth um maybe. so 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 for me that was a big part of this whole thing i started to wonder okay if, if we're not seeing reality for what it is that's why i went down this illusionist route i was like okay why are we so obsessed with this question in the first place right um well because i know um david chalmers calls it the he calls it the meta problem of consciousness the fact that we're so obsessed with this problem of understanding consciousness in the first place is a hard problem. He first labels it the hard problem and then he labels it the meta problem. Mm. Why do we want to know this? What's the problem here? And, mm. and I started to realize it's because human, have, human beings have the tendency to put themselves in a slightly higher pedestal than every other species. We've done so for many years. Right. In my dissertation, I have one line where I said, the same way that Copernicus took us out of the center of the solar system, same way that Darwin took us out at the top of the food chain. Illusionism will do the same for consciousness. It'll take us out of this idea where we think we have this, this essence or this Ian Vitale-like uh, soul, for example, that, right. that only we have, only human beings tend to possess. For some reason, we sure. love to put ourselves up there. And, um, and then over time, I did the podcast, and I started to question illusionism. So it's interesting how that happened. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It all just keeps changing. Um, so I'm so agnostic at this point. I have absolutely no idea what I think. Uh, it, it, it actually can cause mental distress, to be honest. Hmm. Um, Still. And I, I spoke to, I mean, Kurt, uh, Jay Mungle from Theories of Everything. We were discussing how, I mean, the, our podcasts are very similar. And, mm -hmm. and we were talking about how uh, the more we investigate these topics and these phenomena, mm -hmm. the more you start questioning your own mind, reality, and it really can get to you, it can drain you, it can, it, it, can, it can almost put you into, it can either make someone very schizophrenic and psychotic mm -hmm. in the sense that they start to lose touch with reality. Mm -hmm. um, schizophrenia, for example, is not really a split mind, it's more of a split reality. Um, you start to misinterpret information a lot more. So let's say, give me an example, if, if Donald Hoffman comes to me and tells me that space-time is doomed, and he shows me the physics, teaches me why. I mean, I could mm -hmm. at some point just lose touch with reality altogether. I could at some mm -hmm. point just not care anymore. I and mean, what's mm -hmm. the point in waking up and going to work anymore if this is not... Sure. Um, now, that's, that's a poor example. I feel like I could have given, given you a better one. But oh, right, the fact yeah. is, if, if, if someone gives you something like that, if someone tells you, like, look, the sun doesn't really exist, mm -hmm. and, and what if the sun was my favorite thing to wake up to? I mean, um, it can it can it can affect your mind. So we were talking about how these theories of everything and these theories of consciousness. In my case, the more you dig deep, and the more you delve into it, and the more confused you get, 
or you lose touch with reality. And that's what it's like to be schizophrenic in a sense, is mm. losing touch with reality. When the sensory stimulation versus your interpretation of what's going on start to change. And I know Kurt spoke to Carl Friston, Carl Friston about this, and I want to ask Carl Friston about this as well. He's one of the most cited neuroscientists on the planet, if not the most cited mm. neuroscientists on the planet. And, um, and he often talks about it as well. I mean, we take in prior information and make posterior conclusions regarding what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you're, if you're a musician and I'm a, a painter, and you and I both enter a lecture at Brown one day, uh, the first thing you might notice in the lecture theater is the lecturer's guitar, whereas I might notice the artwork on the walls. So the fact that we both enter the same room discussing the same thing while heading there with the same intention, the moment we enter, sensory stimulation enters our resonance, completely changes the way we'll experience this lecture from, from the beginning to the end. Because the prior information is, dictates the posterior conclusions. Sure. So a lot of neuroscience is very intriguing in that regard and starting to show a lot about how we really think. Uh, and we have heuristic ad- adaptations to the world. So we take shortcuts a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, we, we don't really see anything for what it really is and, mm-hmm. and the brain has to make uh, assumptions mm. so we have to guess estimates basically of what's really happening out there caricatures of the reality and to me that's a big problem because that means trying to find the truth in a world that is a caricature or a cartoonish version of what reality might be it's going to be a very difficult task <sighs> Yes, absolutely. Shoot, that's so much to unpack. I want to, um, hmm. Well, let's talk. We want to talk about Donald Hoffman a little bit because you, you spoke with him. And yeah, he, I mean, um, yeah, we actually just chatted the other day oh, and nice. we're scheduling around two. Um, we're discussing one of his new papers as well. And um, I mean, he's yet to publish it, so I can't chat about the paper. But um, ideally, what, I mean, Don is such a great guy, such a kind I mean, he's so, so misinterpreted. And, and that's, that's something I love about this podcast that I'm doing, is that I get a guy whose theory is so perhaps outrageous to so many other people, and then try to incorporate that theory into in, and make it understandable to an audience that might have misinterpreted it from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And so my goal is never to actually debate the guest. Yeah. The goal is to always try and understand their point of view. And even if I disagree with it, try my best to actually defend their view during the podcast. Hmm. Um, play the devil's advocate every now and then, but then sure. slowly try and portray their view in a way I think I would have liked them to have articulated it to me and hmm. the way I can tell that the viewers from their comments want to hear it. Because I obviously read the comments and try and determine, okay, what are people saying when they do an interview with someone else? What are they asking? And I try and incorporate those questions as well. So it's very well researched and refined, and I try and ask very informed questions yeah. not always the best it's, i mean we we're all we're all learning we're all trying our best but yeah. um with don it was it was so easy i mean he's so courteous he's so kind he mm. he he really liked the fact that i did do that though that i took the time to try and understand his theory because he told me after the interview was done that he'll be willing to come on the show whenever he won whenever i ask him wow I mean, which is a really great thing to know Shoot. um That's so awesome. his theory is so incredible when you yeah. so he speaks about how he was doing the calculations and he, and he decided to calculate what are the odds that if fitness payoffs or trying to determine how we would have to survive within the reality we live in based on the information we receive by the retina, via the auditory system, proprioception, knowing where we are, etc. 
what are the odds that we would see reality for what it is? And he did the calculation. He sat down with um, a bunch of other physicists and mathematicians, and they came up to the, to the amazing, astonishing number of zero. Probability of seeing reality for what it is would be zero. And, and he said, and I quote, he had to sit down, I'm paraphrasing, but um, he had to sit yeah, down yeah. and just take a breather. And when he told me that, I remember also thinking, Zero, no, not even one. <laughs> not even, yeah, not even point zero one. Yeah. Well, I think it's not the it approaches zero. it approaches the zero at the limit or something. It's like if it goes to infinity, if you have like an infinite number, it's, it's like not zero. A zero yeah. point one. It's, it's it's just a zero yeah. point zero zero something. Yeah, yeah. To me, really really concerning. I was like, mm-hmm. wow. he's not the only one. Firstly, I asked one of my friends, um, who's a physicist uh, here in South Africa. I asked him, what are your thoughts on space time, and do you think um, universe is real. I remember him just saying, no. And he said it so blase. He was just kind of like, no. Nah. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? He said, no, if you do the calculations, you sit down, you actually think about it. Reality is nothing like what we think it is. Yeah. yeah. And you have to really ask yourself, okay, physicists are really starting to take this idea seriously. And here comes a guy who's doing that and then adding another theory to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's done two things. One is yeah. he's, he's sort of shown us that space time is not fundamental mm-hmm. the way we see it right. but he takes it further which is where which is where a lot of people then disagree with don and a lot of other neuroscientists and philosophers of consciousness disagree with don is where but don decides to make conscious agents a fundamental aspect of consciousness yep. and this is the issue where he has to now fight a battle because the introduction of conscious agents is always an assumption that we have to make i mean anyone who makes a theory has to start off with a basic assumption Mm-hmm. And if you introduce conscious agents as the, the basic assumption, one problem is you introduce conscious agents, which is not necessary. But the second problem yeah. is you always need two conscious agents, mm-hmm. according to Don's theory. Yeah. And that makes it a lot more difficult because now you've basically right. doubled the problem. Um, and a lot of even idealists, because Don, fundamentally conscious realism, which is the name of his theory, mm-hmm. is a form of idealism. Yeah. And a lot of idealists disagree fundamentally with the fact that he introduces conscious agents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Don's theory, I mean, I'm never going to do justice to it by discussing it, but <laughs> uh, I can tell you one thing, it's far more complicated than what I just said. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've gone down the rabbit hole. I've read yeah. most of, I mean, most of his paper, like, yeah, a lot of his papers. I mean, I've read, I've read his book and I think about 20 yeah. different papers of him and his, yeah. his colleagues, yeah. Singh, yeah. Um, got the others. but. Jeez, it's so it's very intricate. These guys have spent time, years, effort mm-hmm. producing the wonderful mathematics they have. Yeah, and I did. I mean, I've done a three-part series on just fitness beats truth. Yeah. So not even getting yet to. I mean, interface theory perception builds out of that pretty, I think, intuitively. Yes. But the conscious agents. What I what how I describe it to people sometimes is like, and I'm not sure if Don would say it this way, but. Most people assume that consciousness is like a bottom-up process, that like it forms from the, neuro, the, uh, the neuronal activity in the brain, right? Don's is like top-down. It's like it starts with consciousness and works its way, you know, that way. That's that's how I think about it, and I'm like, okay, maybe, yeah. I'm, I think, um, I'm super interested in that idea. Uh, I'm most. I think I'm most convinced by fitness beats truth because mm-hmm. there's a layer, there's something intuitive about it that just, when I first heard that his Ted talk, oh, six years, however long ago it was, I was 
blown yeah. away. All I could think about for you know weeks, telling people about, telling my friends, telling my family. Oh my god, this is a crazy idea. You got You got to get this. No one was interested. <laughs> That's actually funny. One of the reasons why I started this channel was that I couldn't find anyone in my social circles that cared about this stuff. Same, same. You too. Okay, cool. We have a related thing. It's like, how do you not think this is interesting? Come on, wake up. Yes. But um, watch that TED talk. You're talking about the one with the blue shirt, eh? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've cut I've cut that one up quite a bit for my videos. I've like thrown in a lot of hero shots of him from like below, where it's him in the background. And I think it's incredible. Um, I mean, it was his really first. I think it was, um, what was he called again? Yeah, he, uh, he I think he has two books. I think the case but, against reality. What's yes, case one? against reality was the one. Um, oh yes, I had I had the hardcover version. I think it's got a white cover instead of the mm. colorful flower on the paperback version. But I remember reading that, and then I went straight into the rabbit hole. We're done. Mm. Uh, I watched the TED talk. I started watching, reading all his publications. I just went in. I went in depth. Mm -hmm. So I was super excited to chat to him. Um, yeah, I got to reach out to. I mean, I will re I, at some point reach out to him and see if he wouldn't mind doing maybe. Um, yeah, no, I'll definitely chat about it. I'll, I'll actually direct him to your, your three-part series. I'm sure he'll enjoy that. Oh yes, please do. I would. I mean, dude, that would be that would be like a dream. I mean, well, I'll to, definitely to, I'll to I'll chat with him. And let him know that I had a chat yesterday, and I want you to watch something. Tev, oh my goodness, thank you so much. I that's you're too kind. I appreciate that a lot. I really do. I really, really do. Because I also, it's so clear. I've listened to so many hours of his interviews. So clear, he's a nice guy. You can tell, like, kind soul. Like, yeah. So hmm. he emailed me yes. I think it was yeah. two days ago. He just. He, I mean, this is like months after we last spoke. Well, a couple probably weeks. It was just out of nowhere email where he just said, hey, Tev, I've got a guest that I'd like for you to, to possibly speak to. I mean, and he introduced me to someone so amazing. I'm, I'm super keen to introduce to the audience of Mind Body Solution. But I mean, it's one of those small things that he does. I mean, just randomly thinking of me, sends wow. me an email and says, I think you'd do a great job at getting her views out. And I was like, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Don. This is amazing. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah. He, so he's really, he's really cool. Yeah, yeah, and he's great. <laughs> what was that? And very smart. <laughs> oh, very intelligent. Absolutely. Um, super intelligent. Super kind. Yeah, super kind. Yeah. yeah very, also, very misunderstood as well. Very misunderstood. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I guess whenever I've listened to him, he's in the context of like an interviewer who's open to the idea. So I haven't yeah. heard, I guess I, I haven't like come up against a lot of the criticisms, but I'm sure there are. I mean, yeah. it's an, it's, you know, counter to. What I also find kind of meta interesting about that, about him too in his career is like, he kind of found the most, potentially the most fit option for his career in terms of like going against the grain, you know, broadly, yeah. that like everyone was approaching the idea, the concept this way, the question this way, why not go over here where there's a lot of space to like grapple with these things and maybe there's, there's like some, some, something, something really substantial here. I think that there is. Yeah. I mean, he, he has that way of thinking because he, he never really wanted, he never really took serious the idea that we could understand everything with the perception we currently have. Yeah. And I think it's, it's stuck with him throughout life. And I think he wanted to figure out why he would think that. But I don't think he was ever prepared for the outcome when his maths told him it's zero. Well, close yeah. to zero. Yeah. Um, apparently, he legitimately sat down and felt faint. He felt, he felt ill. 
like it's one of those feelings when you know that gut wrenching feeling when you know someone's in danger or or someone's about to break up with you. It's, it's sort of that deep sensation that he felt. He describes yeah. it very perfectly, and I think yes, I can imagine if you are someone who understands the maths and physics, and you get and you literally figure out for yourself that space time is not what you think it is. It's it's got to be pretty <laughs> pretty horrific. Absolutely. Have you gone down the rabbit hole of? Um... Because usually when he refers to space-time as Zoom, he talks about Nima Arkani Hamed's amplitohedron. Yeah, that's something I have to... Um, it's very confusing. I mean, it seems like a mapping. It's, very, it's uh, the Harvard lectures. I think it's Harvard lectures that, is, that he has out online. Mm -hmm. It's super difficult um, to understand. I've tried. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you've got to give it a go every few months, space yeah. repetition, and then slowly oh, yeah. figure it out. Yeah, I think that's a good, I agree. It's sort of like you take what you can handle, go yeah. to your go to the edge of your understanding. And when it's just too incomprehensible, you just mm. kind of like, I'll, I'll return back to it. And that's <laughs> the great, great thing about doing that. I love to hear too, um, just to touch on one of my favorite interviews that you did with uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett. Mm, yeah. Fantastic. I never, I, I, I had not come across her before and um, Lovely. I mean, fantastic interview. I really loved it. Yeah, it's really cool. She's so fun. Yeah. Um, mm. we, we actually, I'm scheduling a lot of round twos at some point, mm. um, and because there's so many things we could discuss, and we just don't have yeah. the time a lot of the times. Yeah. And she's. I remember reading her book as well, and I thought oh, this woman is so intelligent. It's this is such a great book, mm -hmm. and I couldn't. I had to have her. And she was one of the first people I thought of putting onto the show. Mm. Um, she might have been number one. But Michael Graziano helped me out during my dissertation. Um, so kind. And he came to me. I mean, he replied instantly and helped me out with, to formulate my theory of consciousness and what I was defending in my dissertation and all the things I was doing. So I wanted my first guest to be someone familiar to me. Sure. And, yeah. But she was the second. She was my next option and right there. I mean, we had such a cool chat. She knows so much about particularly the emotional brain and mm -hmm. hierarchical Bayesian brains. She knows the same thing Friston works on where you look at the brain as sort of this Bayesian-like organ functioning like a statistical organ. It's taking in prior information and constantly producing posterior outcomes. It's very much like that. Um, yeah. Then we also have to take into account that we've always thought that the brain is similar to the current zeitgeist. So pumps back in the day, you right. think the brain yeah. is a pump-like system. You think that brain is sort of a hydraulic system at some point. Right. Um, Every time the science changed or the industrial revolutions changed or the electrical revolution changed, we slowly changed our theories. So it's sure. very difficult to, to claim. Do you think that, I, so that's interesting. Because we do, and you can't blame people for using like the most advanced technology to explain the thing, right? And now, of course, it's algorithmic, simulation, computational. So it makes me think, oh, well, we're not even close because we're just going to, well, the next thing will be the next thing. And we're just going to keep using that. Exactly. That's, but what else can you do? I mean, you can only do the best you can with the tools that you're disposable. So I don't blame people for thinking that way either. <clears throat> that's, that's the same reason why I say that it's, um, it's closer to the mind-body solution. We're mm. never going to get there. But too wordy. That's too wordy. Closer to, yeah. And who knows, maybe sometimes we're taking a step further away. Uh, oh. So difficult to tell. Sure. 
Sometimes we've you have to go. We've had like spirals of revolutions where we thought something and then we've come back to it and then we've thought it again and we've come mm -hmm. back to it, you know. Um, I mean, there was a time where people considered consciousness to be fundamental and mm -hmm. over time it lost its edge. Now it's mm -hmm. back. But panpsychists, mm -hmm. idealists who, who think consciousness is the primary reality. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to go through these cycles quite a lot, I think. And uh, I think it's cool. I think it, uh, it keeps the conversation flowing. Keeps sure. it going. Hopefully, we're alive long enough to see some progress being made. But neuroscience is doing a lot. Yeah. But it still doesn't help us figure out what reality is. Right. Do you have a? I know you're agnostic about this stuff, but do you have? I know you're at least open to the idea. But panpsychism? Are you? You're open, more open than perhaps most doctors, I would assume. But um, yeah. Do you think it's wrong? Do you think find certain people's arguments very convincing? You've got someone like Philip Goff who can who can articulate an argument very well and yeah. very difficult to counter argue. It was several points, but I do have certain points where I don't agree. Um, mm. I don't. I would, I, I would be less likely to call myself a panpsychist, sure. even though I'm not. Even though I say I'm agnostic, I'm very much still firmly more materialist slash physicalist than I am mm. idealist slash panpsychist yeah um, but i'm also not convinced by the physicalist <laughs> materialist out argument either <laughs> yes like that's this is this is where i was talking about you start losing your mind a little because i mean i believe this and i think this i think my phone is real and i and i, and I know mm -hmm. it's real i see it all the time I then you think about what is an atom and 99.9 percent empty space and then i'm like how is this even possible Right. I'm not really touching the phone, but I am touching the phone. Yeah. So it's a weird world we live in. It's a strange universe. Yeah. And I mean, I said this, I mean, you spoke about Tony, uh, there's talk and I mean, I call ourselves a conscious conglomerate of cells mm. um, assembled by atoms, manufactured by molecules, designed by DNA, um, mm. forged by fusion via stellar supernovae. I mean, this is a crazy story. I've got a couple lines there as well. I mean, this was part of my dissertation, organized by organelles. Sure. It's had this cool alliteration of lines. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the story of how we were made is so much more complicated than any story we've ever told so far. Um, mm. I mean, when you think about every religious text and the story of how we were made, I mean, 6,000 years or the Boomba people in Congo, I mean, where Boomba spits out the earth, um, I mean, we've got so many different stories. I mean, mm -hmm. Krishna, um, my, my own cultural stories, my religious stories. Sure. Then you think about the actual one that science has told us. I mean, stars had to die in order for us, in order for atoms to forge into, sure. uh, into hydrogen, heli hydrogen atoms that collide to form helium, beryllium, carbon, oxygen, everything, nitrogen, and it just goes on. And slowly they all come back together at some point. And, and then and you find these single-celled organisms, I mean, 4.8 billion years Earth, 13.8 billion year light years across universe. I mean, it's quite crazy. It's an incredible story. It is, yeah. And, it, and it's so convincing, and yet we don't know what dark matter is. We don't know what 99% of this amazing story is. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing and still so incomplete. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's, it's just incomplete. It's not even, the story is so, probably so untrue. And, but yet, to me, it is the story I go with. It is the story I'm most convinced by. And uh, if I give a lecture on what is reality, it's the story I will tell. Yeah. 
so yeah, if you had to give put me in a box, I would still be very much physicalist, um, yet with very counterintuitive intuitions about my own intuition. <laughs> sure, open, always open to. Uh, it's shame. very, very agnostic. Yeah, I have absolutely. I think that's the way to be. Why be stuck with one model when you, you know, you have to, like, you have to accept things at a certain point to live your life, you know, <laughs> to, to get by and do the things you want to do. But then, yeah, just keep your mind open and keep exploring while we can. Can I ask yeah. what, um, which guest of yours has been the most surprising? Ooh, that's a very good question. Hmm. Well, I've had some guests who, I mean, I've been idols of mine. Mm. Um, I mean, I've loved neuroscience for such a long time. If, if like, astrophysics, archaeology, I mean, medicine, mostly because I wanted to somehow go into um, some sort of a neuropsychological route. And when I was doing that, I mean, I had all these idols. Lisa was one of them. Mm. Um, Noam Chomsky, I've been such a huge fan of. Of course, idols, yeah. So. That's it was to me that was uh, I felt like I'm interviewing a god. <laughs> yeah, he's a legend. You know, I mean, yeah. This is a living legend. He's 93 yeah. when I spoke to him. Yeah. I have another interview I've just done with him that's going to come out soon. He'll probably be 94 when it's out. I don't know. Oh. It's 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 surreal to know this guy is 93 and still cognitively engages with me mm. as an equal. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. It's it's. Yeah. As someone who treats geriatric patients all the time, he has such a sharp mind. It's incredible because it shows how well he's done over the years to consistently keep his mind mm. up to date and mm. active. And that's what happens when you read and learn as much as you do as he's done over the years. I mean, it's so easy to talk to him. Sure. So I think he surprised me the most for sure. Uh, mm. I, I figured it would be difficult, but it wasn't just flowed it was i would say the only thing that was was obviously i mean gnome's getting a little older so hearing you have to sort of yeah, you have to sort speak a little louder into the mic i mean that yeah. makes sense <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but uh i mean if i if i thought more patricia churchland was someone i really enjoyed interviewing as well mm. um because when i was doing my dissertation i came across eliminative materialism and her husband, Paul Churchill, is someone I also really admire. So the two of them are very cool people who I've also looked up to for a while. Um, there's also Rebecca Goldstein. I mean, hmm. she's really cool. P P yeah, Stephen yeah. Pinker's wife. I mean, the, oh, right. the two of them are living legends. Um, sure. Both of them. I mean, I'm going to chat to Pinker at some point as well. But it was so cool to have her as well because I'm a huge fan of the both of them. Separately and together as a couple. I think they're pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. and, uh, a dynamic duo yeah i mean there's been so many there's there's just been too many of them <laughs> and it's growing i mean i've got a lot lined up as well so sure. more's going to come out um but I've, yeah, I've taken a break i was just on vacation so huh. if anyone's wondering why i've been taking a little bit of a oh, break yeah you deserve it man where'd you go now i just went on holiday back home to the city of durban where my family's okay. from and yeah just re relaxed for a bit um, it wasn't. It wasn't like a full-on trip overseas or anything. It was just uh, mm -hmm. you know, to see the family. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's great. That's that's lovely. And what do you have? I mean, what do you have in store for the next you know few months, next year for the channel? Like, what kind of? How often do you come out? Like, what's your plan for? It usually it used yeah. to be around two weeks, every two weeks. Okay. But because of, I mean, the, I was I mentioned to you while we chatted before coming on the show. I mean, there's so much political 
being raced in South Africa at the moment. Um, they randomly cut the power. You cannot prepare yourself. So we could be chatting right now, and they could change the stage of what's called load shedding. Right. That means they right. they'll switch off the electricity in the entire country at a random moment at any point of the day. And that's making it very difficult for me to, to schedule any interviews with guests overseas because obviously I don't want to waste their time. And when the day comes, because this has happened about five times already, we've had to cancel an interview. It's very embarrassing because you, you, you've got this, um, this guest you've been looking up to your entire yeah. life and you finally have them and then they, they just leave their fingertips with your palm of your hand and you're like, oh, no. Yeah. I almost interviewed so-and-so. I can't believe mm -hmm. um, I mean, that happened to Noam and I the first time. So Noam and I scheduled an interview, load shedding yeah. hit. Noam is so generous because he obviously knows a lot about South African politics. Mm -hmm. He said, don't worry, I completely understand. I know exactly what's going on. And then we just rescheduled. So, That's great. I mean, we've had our number two. So, I mean, Noam, you can expect Noam Chomsky one more time. You can expect mm -hmm. Donald Hoffman again. Um, all the guests I've had on, you can possibly expect back. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try and change the format a little at some point. I'm going to try and mm -hmm. just update it. Perhaps, I mean, I've been doing everything on my own at this point. It's my hobby horse, something I've been riding. And um, I think I need to get team together because it, it is a bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. it, it, does, it does get a bit hard. I think I need to, at some point, invest more energy and time into building this. Yeah. Uh, because I can tell that there, there is an audience that wants to engage and want this content. And I think I'm going to do my best to provide it. it. I love it. I live for it at this point. It is my favorite thing to do. Um, when I talk to some of these guests, I feel like I'm talking to childhood heroes. Some of them are current active heroes. And it's real. It's actually pretty cool to, yeah. to, to speak to them as a peer. Mm -hmm. but, uh, I remember watching Noam Chomsky as a child, like legitimately a baby. I feel like I was a four-year-old oh <laughs> watching an old, like, huge, you know, the box TV sets, of just course. watching him yeah. before it starts to cut to that black and white fuzz. Um, I remember he had this one chat with Michel, uh, Michel Foucault. Just um, was a, a sort of debate that he had once, and it was televised here in South Africa. This was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Right. Foucault versus Chomsky, just yep. having a full-on debate. Yep. Um, and they both so understand cool. each other. One speaking right. French, the other one yeah. speaking English, and there's no need for a translator. They're just, I'm watching the subtitles, just thinking, how are these guys so intelligent? This is yeah. absurd. That's like Another, upper, upper that's crust. It's crazy. It's so cool. And you get to talk to them and engage with them in this modern world. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, no, it is. It's, 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 it's so epic. I can only describe it as, as awesome. It's just epic. Yeah, very fortunate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even chatting to you right now, I mean, this is, look, look the content that you've curated and created at this point. I mean, one of your videos has over 300,000 views. That's, that's pretty cool. I mean, oh yeah the fourth dimension <laughs> yeah that's, that's uh, uh, thank you yeah it does feel good that something um kind of clicked i guess you can never know what that's a funny thing is you don't know what's going to um what's going to work that's the nice thing about having such a diverse and different type of podcast is that you can experiment i mean your youtube mm. channel you're able to actually do that which is pretty cool yeah Just topic and go with it just For give sure. some what they want and I mean, I mean, that's the beauty behind this, this yeah. these platforms is we get to showcase content that we love and yeah. that hopefully other people love because clearly 300,000 views later, thousands of people have to have loved it too. <laughs> yeah, it does feel good. It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around, <laughs> just like reality. <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> 
It is a lot. If you but could, itself, I mean, talking about tesseracts in a fourth dimension, I mean, it is something people want. I mean, I mean, you've, it's it's such a cool topic. I mean, it's one of those things you want to hear about. I mean, it is I'm a cool topic. Some people are into it nowadays. Yeah, me too. I mean, I did that one because I wanted to figure it out for myself. I didn't get it, yeah. and I just kept on going back to it. And I think it only took me three or four days to put that together from soup Jeez. to nuts. Yeah, it wasn't too long. I mean, I was like. Early on, I was like, you know, really hitting it hard uh, and trying to pump those out quickly. But um, so that was cool that it, you know, just kind of resonated um, with some folks. If you could talk to yourself at the beginning of you making the podcast, you know, go back what, a year or so. I mean, um, yeah, you give yourself, if you give yourself one piece of advice, what would it what would it be? Take your time. Don't mm-hmm. edit it too much, which I. Oh beginning i did and then i stopped yeah. completely. now it's very much unfiltered it's almost just raw I just, nice. I just cut the beginning cut the end and upload it as it is i've learned to be less harsh on myself just mm. if i don't like the way i've responded if i go mm, too much i don't care mm. um <laughs> it's more about getting their views out there it's more about the guest at this point so my my best advice would be take your time mm. don't be don't be too greedy for views or likes mm. it'll grow Start low, go slow, and, and it'll flow. I guess I want to keep the running going. <laughs> Love it, yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, you, talking about a year ago, so what had happened was I started with, I uploaded four within, I think, a month or two. Sure. And then I completely quit. Hmm. Um, and the first four were, I think it was Michael Graziano, Lisa Altman, and Nicholas Humphrey and Keith Frankish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I stopped for months. So I think it was, I think I stopped for about six to eight months. Wow. I gave up on the podcast. What? Because of that impatience. I thought like, is this actually going to work out? What am I going to sure. do? I want to do this? Is, And then I came across, uh, I, I actually sent Kurt a message about this. Um, I came across Kurt's channel and I remember thinking, this is exactly what I want to talk about and do. Sure. And he seems to be growing this very well. Yeah. I might as well just continue. Um, and then so he actually inspired me to continue doing it. And then we've chatted since then. And he even made a video, I remember, where he mentioned me in his podcast. Um, mm-hmm. He said that this is a very, so he made a video about underrated podcasts. Yes. That need more attention. Yeah. I think that's how I found you. <laughs> okay, great. I'm yeah, pretty exactly. sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how I came out. Came out of, I remember the day he posted that I got a lot of new subscribers and a lot of engaging subscribers. It wasn't nice. just subscribers if you subscribe and don't interact. I, I was getting engagement, you know, mm-hmm. those real comments that people arguing, having full on debates in the comment section. Yeah. I started loving that. I was like, this is great. Sure. So glad I continued because this is exactly what I wanted to have. I wanted people not talk about me, but rather talk about the theories I'm dis- that I'm allowing these people to portray and discuss. So the goal is for them to mm-hmm. portray their So yeah. Um, oh, by the way, Nicholas Humphrey um, is one of the guests I've had on the show. He's someone I've read a lot of his books. I mean, one of his heroes were, I mean, Richard Dawkins. I mean, he really loved these people that I loved growing up. And yeah. he was one of those people because he was part of that was this group of biologists who sort of combined biology with psychology. Um, so he was also someone who I really considered an idol. I have so many of his books on my shelf. Like I would say, I swear about 10, just 10 different titles, 10 different books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noam, I've got about 15 to 20 books, I think. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm chatting to these people. I mean, Pinker, Stephen Pinker, if we, when we have our chat, it'll be like me chatting to another hero of mine. 
forgot about also about ten plus views. That picture's amazing too. Um, so yeah, I mean, advice: just take your time and enjoy the process. And I am at this point. I mean, I don't, I don't rush. Yeah. If I don't post in a month, I mean, I haven't posted this entire month, and I'm okay. I'm not really that stressed. I've got yeah. videos waiting. Yeah. Uploaded. I'm not really panicking. Sure. That's um, a great. I think I am worried about the viewers and the fact that they might be waiting for the next video, and I'm, I take that into consideration. So I will post yeah. it based on that. Mm -hmm. But pressure to post is no longer. But I think if you can afford getting a team together, then you probably should take off some of that stress. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a lot of work editing post-production pre-production preparation getting a logo getting the podcast together trying to find a song a theme everything it's such a it's so much yeah i get it yeah you're talking <laughs> preaching to the choir over here i mean if you had to I, give me advice, what would you give me what's that if you had to give me advice what would you give me make my you podcast advi you advice <laughs> now yeah, yeah oh my goodness I'm curious. Uh, I mean, you're, you're a content creator carlos i mean at this point you've done extraordinary work you can give me advice mm, that's so kind of you to say I, I think very highly of your work too um huh i have to think about i don't have anything off the top of my head i honestly i mean if i had hmm no i have nothing <laughs> i wish if i think i promise if i think of anything i will email you i promise i promise if anything comes to mind oh yeah please do the main yeah. goal is always to grow we can't sure. um is I love when people give me constructive feedback because I mean, there are times we have noticed things that, that you, you notice things you do. You, you sort of, you might out loud go, hmm, hmm, hmm. That's fine. I think that's okay. Fine, until you find like five comments in the video where they're yeah. like, why does this, why does the host keep hmming? And then I'm like, just guys, you need to relax. It's a conversation. Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. Calm down and just enjoy the content. I'm not yeah. perfect. Uh, neither are my guests, and they don't claim to be either. Um, so a lot of my effort actually goes into making sure that the guest is taken care of. Because the last thing I want is for them to say something politically incorrect that might get them into trouble, which I think a lot of people try to get for clickbait. And I think that's something my guests have noticed, and that's why they want to come back, is you make them feel comfortable, which you've done so very, very well so far. And... I'm sure you'll continue to. But. I'm, I'm, we're going off the rails, baby. We're taking this to crazy town. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, not a cast up. And I think one of the things he told me at the end was, I mean, where he comes from, it's good to actually go in detail and dissect me. He wants me to. So for round two, he actually wants me to play devil's advocate as much as I possibly can. And I said, okay, I can do that. Yeah. I choose the, the peaceful route. Yeah, yeah. If you want the devil, we can, we can bring him out. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always good to make sure the guest feel comes, feels comfortable. So my advice would be take your time, go slow, and make sure the guest is always comfortable. I mean, in, in this type of podcast setting. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's uh, also what I was trying to do, so I'm glad that, that it came yeah. through. So if we can, and also just to, like, just reminded me something about, I'm so glad you didn't, you came back and that you didn't abandon the channel. I mean, yeah. Because I get it. I mean, it's probably so many creators go through the same thing where you try and you put all of yourself into the work and you see nobody watching it. Yeah. And you're like, what is this? But it was, I, Joseph Campbell said something to the degree of like, when you found your passion, you found the thing that you want to do, 
He's like, be willing to suffer for about a decade at least <laughs> in pursuit of it. Like, if you're not willing to give yourself over, that's a lot of time. I mean, obviously, not everyone has the resources, the time. You know, you have to make these trade-offs, you know, for your passion sometimes with the demands of life and the things that come at you. But on the side, if you just keep on going and you love the process, you know, like you were mentioning before, all the things that it takes to do this well. And mm -hmm. I, I, I was talking to somebody last night about this, a, a content creator, and he said too, like, you know, as soon as you can, what is you can offload this stuff, certain parts of this you have to, because, you know, you need to be able to focus your time and attention on other yeah. stuff. But I, I mean, I'm so curious. I like learning all these things. Like, and I, I would like, I, I think it's interesting. It's like, let's go into it, right? Maybe not now editing stuff yeah. as precisely after a while you're kind of like oh god i wish this was over but initially getting in there in the project like i get into final cut and i'm moving stuff around i get into flow i lose hours of time flow right by and it's like that's why you know that's one of the reasons why i got into this is to you lose yourself in the process so yeah no i completely agree i mean i also came back because that is something i missed actually at the point i was thinking about it i mean i loved doing it Mm -hmm. And why am I letting the fact that people aren't enjoying it as much as I thought they would mm. affect the fact that I love doing it? So mm. uh, I just came back because I enjoy it so much. I mean, even just, just having the conversations, even mm -hmm. editing it, I love listening to it because I'm obviously relearning it, yeah. um, reabsorbing the, the answers the person has given me. And, uh, and you're right, you get into that flow state and you start editing, you can quickly chop paste. I've made my life so much easier by just starting it cutting the beginning, cutting the end, and just uploading it raw. So mm -hmm. I've taken a lot of hassles. <laughs> yeah. Unless there's something the guest has said that they really didn't like, perhaps wanted to be cut out, I will go mm -hmm. through and cut it out. Yeah. Other than that, it's very much raw, uncut footage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll probably do something, sim I mean, after this, I'll probably do something similar in terms of, because this is such an enjoyable conversation for my end, and I hope you, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, and you, And I mean, your story too, it's just so perfect because you really and you're you're a young guy you're 29 years old right i think you, you mentioned so and you, you've come around already you've had this call to adventure you you know this interest this passion that's always been there and then you went into the chaos of you know med school and 30-hour shifts to then doing the tv media hosting stuff survivor you've got and now you're integrating so much of your different experiences. Yeah. You know, it's like two or three dimensions of, of things that you're bringing together with this podcast. On top of, you're, you're still a practicing medical doctor, yeah. right? I mean, on top of that, you know, you have, and that's, I think, I think something beautiful too, is that your day-to-day -day practice, you know, that work that you do informs the mm -hmm. podcast in, a, in an angle that, you don't really get that perspective from so many people. Yes. So it's just, you made it so easy for me because it's a perfect journey, you know, it's coming through and, and yet there's still more to come, you know, I mean, you're going to go through that process again and again in terms of that call, you know, to do even more and integrate even more of your experiences. <clears throat> you know, thanks so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's uh... You're right. It's it's this podcast is pretty much me putting them all together into one pot now. Finally, being able to put everything into one thing that I love so much, and 
And it truly is that one, that place I go to zone out. This is my hobby. This is something I love to do. And um, it, it feels like I'm reading because my favorite thing to do is reading books. So when I'm doing a podcast with a guest, I know I've read all their books. It feels like I'm reading a book again. And uh, that's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's the best feeling I can, I can. I can't even explain it. It's just sure. surreal. I'm sure it is because, yeah, you take that written experience, which is like in their psyche. It's like a part of them. You know, it's like mm. the patterns that you're getting through. And then you can actually engage, mind meld, have the yeah. discussion. It's well, wonderful. It is pretty, it's pretty surreal, I must say. Yeah. It's, it's, phenom- it's phenomenal. What a time. What a time to be alive. Do you have anything else you want to say to the audience? Anything else you want to ask me? I just I want mean, to say good luck to you, man. This is going thanks. to be a crazy adventure. This is going to be something you're going to look back and think, I'm so glad I continued. I'm so glad I changed mm. the format now and then. Because mm. you, you said you're planning to do that. Um, the more you engage and experiment, the better it's going to get. Mm. So I just want to say thank you for continuing what you're doing. Thanks for the opportunity for chatting to me and finding my story so compelling, compelling enough for you to interview me. I appreciate it. I had such a great time, firstly. Um, but more importantly, I think you're going to do a great job. Oh. You're gonna, this is going to be something I'm going to keep my eye on. And, uh, I'm definitely going to probably have you on the show at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yes. Yes, I need time. Absolutely. I think, we need to, I think we need to have a nice discussion on the mind and why you think reality, why you think we're going to find the truth. I didn't say that. <laughs> Did I? I mean, I think we might get close. Do you think we're going to true enough? True enough, at least. Yeah, which is like a. Are you going to change the name? Are you actually going to do it? You know what? I've done like a little bit of a um, the last few weeks, kind of a restructuring, figuring out the future of the channel. Like, obviously, this is one step in that direction. Doing, I want to do like one interview a week. It's kind of something I'd like to do going into twenty twenty three. Possibly like one live stream per week where I'm doing like a lecture, kind of educational stuff on the fly, but pre prepared, obviously, to a degree. So I think it'd be like a nice, you know, cause you gotta, you gotta get the stuff out. You know, you have to create a lot of stuff and put it out there and see what happens. So that's kind of vaguely what I'm thinking about. And I have a lot of ideas for, yeah, a new, a rebrand, new structure, like sort of a new title sort of, but it's up in the air. I don't know. And one of the cool things about YouTube in particular, but also all the social media platforms really is that you can rebrand on a fly, on the fly. You know, you can like really change stuff. You don't want to do it too often. Obviously you confuse your audience, but. I've done that. So I, oh. when I first started this podcast, it was before the four episodes I uploaded. Prior to that, I started the podcast, I think almost four months or so before that, but it was a mental health podcast. Oh. Um, I started it where I just did episodes talking about mental health in general, just sure. me speaking, no guests. Mm-hmm. I found myself slowly not really enjoying it. I mm. didn't like it. I didn't like what I was doing. I was not enjoying the content. I stopped it completely revamped it, brought on guests and decided to make this a two-way street and mm. have a look back. So I think if you're, if you're feeling that urge to change it up, change it up. And, and I am, yeah. This And this I think is good because very, I mean, I think it's honest criticism of my own stuff. Uh, so my stuff in front of the camera, like I had like a teleprompter, pre-scripted, you know, every word exactly how I wanted, which I wanted for quality control, but obviously scale scale wise, it just really reduces your output. And then I watch myself now and it's, I'm so stilted and stiff on camera. And I mean, I do think it's tough to read off a telepr, like 
to do that with like, you know, fun energy, you know, you have years and years of experience doing stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it, we got, we got some training in that. Yeah. Yeah. You got some training. I did not. So I look back at it and I'm like, oh no, I look terrible, but whatever, you know, you got to just accept it and say, you need to make stuff and if mess up and then you can kind it's, of, I mean, it. as you said, it's Joseph Campbell says it all. It's the hero's journey. You were just starting out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just still, still, it's still happening. It's still, you're still figuring it all out. Yeah. We all are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we all are. We're all on this journey and it's going to take us all to very unique places. And I'm looking mm. forward to see who yours, who yours is going like, to. Likewise. Yeah, absolutely. And just for anyone watching, you can find all, I'll link to all your stuff to have in the description. So please Thanks. go to his channel, subscribe, engage. It's uh, it's a great audience as well that you have built up. And just yeah, from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. Um, I love it when you guys have, I'm saying engage to the, all the people who are gonna yeah. watch this. I love yeah, it when yeah. you have your debate in the comment section. I, I read it all, so feel free yeah, to- Yeah, me too. Yes, yeah. so feel free to show us love. I mean, whatever you want. Sure, yeah, especially, you know, at our size, I read every comment, I, I, I look through them all. And I think sometimes, yeah, one time, some guy posted like, you gotta read this like to everyone else, read this short story about the fourth dimension. And I read it and it was awesome. And, I, and he's like, I can't believe you read it. I was like, yeah, I'm a person. I'm interested in this stuff. Like, we're curious. Really, we want to see we, what you guys have to say. We yeah, we really, yeah, we well, really care. And we want to know what you want to hear going forward. Constructive critiques Yeah. Um, from the comment section. I mean, you'll have some loyal supporters who will give you good feedback. Mm. And as your channel grows, I mean, I mean, we're both still growing. I mean, as it grows, we're going to find people who are going to support the channel. Um, eventually grow into people who will become a part of the channel because that's mm. what happens with these channels. They eventually right. get patrons, they mm. get supporters, loyal customers who come here for a, for a service. Mm. And, uh, and if you do them a disservice, they will let you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, but I can tell that you're going to give them a good service. So keep up, the, keep up the content. And I'm looking forward you to too. seeing the rest I can't of wait to, I can't wait to keep, continue following your journey. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to look forward to watching yours very attentively. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I had such a great time. Thanks so much for the opportunity. And I can't wait to see how this comes out. See, me too. <laughs> Thanks.